AJ products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored for your business needs. Specializing in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. To elevate your business, visit ajproducts.ie. It's Monday, February the 19th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With less than three weeks to go to the two referendums on the family and on carers, the campaign, such as it is, is in full swing. But what are the issues that are at stake? We've been discussing those on previous podcasts. But what are the overall outlines of the changes to the Constitution as proposed? And how will the referendums themselves be run? I was joined late last week by the chair of the Electoral Commission, Ms Justice Marie Baker, and also welcome back Arto Leary, the Commission's Chief Executive, to answer all of those questions. You're both very welcome. Good morning and thank you very much. Good morning, Hugh. It's nice to be back in Inside Politics headquarters. I know, back again mm. so so soon, Art. I'll go to you first because I just want to ask you about a couple of practicalities about the, um, the, the way you'll be running this process or are currently running it. I mean, I think we are definitely officially in the campaign at this point. In what way, if any, does the way that the new... Um, permanent commission approach running these uh, these campaigns. How in what way does that differ from the way the old referendum commissions, which were these standalone bodies, set up on a case by case basis? Well, the, the responsibilities are almost identical to inform and explain the proposals for referendum to the people. But um, I think the difference now will be visibility. You know, there are many um, platforms available to us now, which probably weren't as uh, as available back in 2019 when the last referendum was. So um, we are doing what the last referendum commission did, was delivering 2.3 million booklets to every home in the country. But we're also um, visiting many, many sites throughout the country as well, engaging with communities, and we've m- got much greater presence on social media perhaps than the previous commissions. And so I, I have in my hand here the uh, the booklet uh, in, in Irish and English, which is, um, I think you can find it on your website as well, can't you? There's yes, a PDF yeah. of it on the website. I was looking at it uh, yesterday. So that's due to land in people's letterboxes over the course of the next week or so, running up to the, the sort of the, the two weeks before voting. Yeah, the, the final one will be delivered on the 1st of March, just a week okay. before voting. Um, our timescales were uh, a little bit tight. But they are being delivered at a rate of 150,000 booklets a day between now and the 1st of March. So um, people shouldn't worry. They can go to the website if they're pining to read the booklet, but they will be in every household in the country well in advance of polling day. And I have seen a TV ad, which is really, I suppose, a more general or generic one, you know, suggesting to people that you don't want somebody else speaking for you. And that's why it's important to go out and vote. I'm delighted you've you've seen the ads. You know, we've been... um, uh, out on radio and television in a, in a quirky and uh, humorous way. No, it's a, a, funny a, ad. It's good. It's a, a good. light-hearted way. And um, I, I've said to many people, you know, that uh, how, we're surprised at the ad that, well, if you don't like it, it's probably not aimed at you, you know. So your, your listeners to this podcast probably are all registered. They've all checked the register, etc. But um, again, primarily not our target audience. It's for young people and um, communities who are unengaged and disengaged. So we will be coming out with a further series of ads which will focus on the content, the proposals themselves, and we'll also do some campaigning around misinformation, disinformation, and the importance of learning from trusted sources. So that's to come during the, next, the course of the next three, three weeks as well. Now I'll come back to the misinformation point in a minute, but you, you will have seen um, the Irish Times' poll 
last week, and I don't want you to comment on the the yeses or the noes, but the the don't knows or haven't a clues, as we might call them, who definitely uh, command a majority of the of the electorate, according to that poll. Does that do we have any previous data as to how that might compare with previous referendums? I think probably not at the same time, but it, I think the the feeling is that it's generally um, in line. You know, the academic evidence is that people start to engage in the final week in advance of polling date. So we are, uh, that poll was taken four weeks out, um, the 8% result of people who know a lot about the referendum typically capture those within the bubble who are interested in in these kind of things. We're not concerned about this at the moment, but it just shows the scale of the challenge um, for on and Taucon to reach into communities and ensure that everybody has enough information in order to be able to make up their mind one way or another and, of course, to get them out to vote as well. And Maria, if I could bring you in then, because the um, the proposals are complex, really, aren't they? There are a number of different changes to the Constitution encompassed in two different votes. So if somebody's starting from scratch, as the polls suggest an awful lot of people are, there's quite a lot to get your head around. No, they are complex. And in fact, I, I signed the introduction. I wrote the introduction to the booklet and I do say they're complex proposals, not just, if you like, structurally complex in that they involve removing removing phrases and putting in phrases, but also complex in terms of what the principles mean. Mm. And our aim is to explain, that's our statutory remit, to explain the subject matter of the referendum and what um, what is meant. And we do that in part in the booklet, and, and, and we might go through it this morning, by saying what's there now and what's proposed um, in both in both referendums, one just involves the removal of a phrase. That's the that's the thirty ninth the family referendum. The other involves the removal of an entire two parts of the constitution, two sub articles, and their replacement with another sub article, which would go somewhere else in the constitution. Well, maybe it would make sense for you to take us through the, those. The first one, the thirty ninth amendment. I'll do that. Would you mind, Hugh, if I started first, because I think people need to know what a constitution is. And I don't want to give you a law lecture, but just briefly, if I could explain what a constitution does. It is a, it is a statement in generalised terms of values and principles. Now, our constitution sets out, for example, the structure of the state, the role of the Iraqis, the role of the president. It sets out a lot of the what you might call the nuts, the nuts and bolts of the state. This part of the constitution is the statement of fundamental rights and articles 40 to 44 and 45, which has a different function, set out the fundamental rights. And they're fundamental in two senses. One, they are basic they're, they're, they're the primary statement of rights, but also they are foundational and f- fundamental obviously refers to foundation as well. So they're foundational. So they are the principles and the rights upon which legislation is enacted and against which legislation or the lack of legislation is tested. So th- the Constitution is meant to be a generalised statement of principles. And it's meant to last over time. This is why the the Constitution will contain always very general statements. So, for example, it it declares that the the citizen, people are equal before the law, for example, just the statement of equality. And that has worked its way through legislation and it has been tested from time to time in, in the courts. And it has evolved as our constitutional thinking has evolved. And it has evolved as societies become more complex. So go back to these. These are 
proposals to make amendments to a particular part of the fundamental rights structures and statements. And they're both proposals to amend Article 41. And Article 41 is headed up the family. So that's where we are. Two proposals to deal with Article 41. The 39th, as you describe it, and that's what it is, this is not the number in the, this is not the article in the Constitution. This is the 39th proposal for an amendment mm-hmm. to the Constitution. So it's the 39th Act, as it were. Um, and this is what's called in the legislation, in fact, the Family Amendment. And that's proposed to uh, alter And I think the word correctly is expand the definition or concept of the family in the Constitution. Now, this is where it becomes complex because the Constitution recognises the family unit and that family unit is described as being a fundamental unit group of society and a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights. That sounds like very complex language, and it is. But what it means is that the family unit as a unit, not the individuals within it, but the family unit is a fundamental unit group of society. So it's not the state that is the fundamental unit group of society for this purpose. It's the family unit. And that it 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 owns its own fundamental rights, which cannot be taken from it easily. It cannot be taken from it. So if you go to various places in the Constitution, the family, for example, is responsible for choices with regard to education. Now, the state has interfered from time to time. There's been, for example, um, the the amendment to Article 42, which added 42A, gives children's rights in the best interest of children a a role there. And there's been sometimes a balancing act to be to be had between the family unit and the interests of children. What's proposed here is to to add to the definition of the family, and I, I think it's useful if I explain why. We use the word family all the time, but the family as identified in the Constitution with a capital F, there, there's your English lesson now, it has a capital F because it's identifying a unit, a unit group. That has been clarified to mean the family based on marriage. And as recently as three weeks ago, the Supreme Court in in a judgment where seven judges sat, I did not sit, um, decided 5-2 that the family to which Article 41.1.1 refers is the family based on marriage. And that case, I think, was illustrative of the precise issue um, that this throws up and it was a claim by a man who was living long term 20 years with his partner they had three children they presented as a couple as a family and she died uh, not entirely unexpectedly but she got COVID on top of another illness they had discussed marriage but they had not married and he had applied he applied for the widower's pension and he was refused and he challenged that you know, on the face of it he wasn't a widower in the way in which the law identified it but he said that the exclusion of him from the legislation from the social welfare legislation was a denial of his right as a family unit, of their right as a family unit. And the court said, no, you're not a family unit within the meaning of the Constitution. However, he won, they won their case because the court said it was an in, in, unequal, it was discriminatory to exclude him when in fact, oddly enough, people who are divorced were entitled to the widower's pension. Mm-hmm. 
and people not living with their spouse were entitled to the widower's pension. And he had been living with her. And that financial interconnection between them meant that there might have been a good reason why social welfare payments would bolster their finances after the loss of one income and the loss of some care and care, some care for the children, etc. Can I just so, ask you something about that? Because we have discussed that case previously in our, discu- in yes. our d- uh, debates about the referendum up, up until now. One of the things it seems to me that case illustrates is that families or family formations or individuals within them do have other rights in addition to the ones that might be asserted under this the, this definition of the family. They have rights to equal treatment before the law, which can be vindicated as as was the case here. So it's not as if people are coming from a zero position to this right no, now. No, and that goes back to, to, to something I said earlier. The Constitution is an expression of fundamental principles and fundamental rights. There are other rights and those other rights were triggered by the O'Maras and seven, the, the, the entire court, that's the full seven judges, held that the O'Maras were entitled on the basis of equality to be treated the same as other persons who had paid their social welfare contributions and found themselves bereft of a, of, of, of a long-term partner. Um, that, 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 that's the case. It's sometimes difficult to win an equality case because you have to establish a suitable comparator. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been so difficult if Mr. O'Mara and his children had been part of a family unit because he'd have had a straight, he mightn't have won, but he'd have had a straight argument towards the family unit. He mightn't have won because the Constitution also recognises the particular importance of the institution of marriage with a capital M um, and, uh, pr- and guarantees to protect it against attack. So the, the when I say it's complex, there are a lot of balls in the air. There are Article 40 equality rights. There are the rights of the family unit currently based on marriage. There is the protection of the institution of marriage. And, you know, we had an, a marriage referendum not that long ago. Marriage as an institution has a constitutional place and clearly a constitutional importance such that a very large number of people came out to vote on that referendum. So I, I hope this is not too complex, but in fact, the more you put all of these elements in the in the air, I think the more people will see life is complex, the constitution is complex, and the people must understand that and decide what statement they want made in their constitution about the meaning of family. So maybe we could just dig a little bit deeper into then what the new statement might say and what what the implications of that is, because I think that's where most of the disagreement has taken place so far. We Some of it's taken place in the pages of the Irish Times, which we always like to see. So if I could just sort of outline uh, sort of a, a key point there, Senator Michael McDool in his column in the Irish Times in relation to the the, the new description that um, that the family could be founded on, on marriage and, and indeed on what are called uh, durable relationships. Um, he argues, and I think argued in the Shannad for an amendment that that should be, uh, I'm not sure of the exact phrase, but subject As to... As defined by law. As defined by law. And he said that without that phrase, as defined by law, the definition would be entirely left to the courts. Now, there was a letter the the next day, I think, from Conor O'Mahony, who's a a professor of law in University College Cork, and he he disagreed with the the senator's position and said, actually, the Constitution is full of things, which the Oireachtas can then legislate further on within the confines of the Constitution. Which of them is right? 
I, I'm certainly not going to answer that. But what I will say is... <laughs> I can only try. <laughs> you can try and I will not answer it. What I'll say is, I, I'll, I'll say a number of things. First of all, what is proposed is that there is added to the definition or the concept of a family that a family can be founded on other durable relationships. Nothing here displaces the overriding power of the Oireachtas to make law. Article 15 is not displaced. The courts don't make law. The Oireachtas makes law. And what would one would expect were this referendum or either of these referendums or both of these referendums to be passed is the next stage would be that legislation would be passed and that leg- and legislation would be examined. And you might recall at the end of the O'Mara case, the court didn't strike down the Social Welfare Code because that would have led to total chaos. It's, it, it said that the Social Welfare Code would have to be looked at and amended to take account of Mr O'Mara's legitimate claim to be paid widowers, widowers or a widower's type allowance. So the next stage constitutionally is that there would be legislation and that legislation would identify the persons who are recognised as being in durable relationship, what the qualities or qualifications would be, etc. But leaving that aside, as I said to you already, um, and I will not get involved in that in that in that debate, but I'm happy to see it happening. But people need to be informed about the backdrop here. The backdrop is the the Iraqis makes the makes the law, and ultimately it comes to be tested in the courts. If a person withstanding to make the claim can establish that the Iraqis fail to have regard to their form of durable relationship. So the courts are the very last safety net, as I, it were. I, I suppose the thing I, w- I wonder about that is that when was this was being discussed, first of all, the response from certain figures on the on the yes side, including in the government, was that this would be a matter for the courts to decide and to divide. And actually, I'm just looking at, um, I mean, Michael McDowell mm. quotes Radhika Gorman uh, when this debate was happening. And he said, and, I, and this is Michael McDowell quoting Radhika Gorman, so I hope he was correct. Uh, I'm sure he was. He disagreed with Michael McDowell's approach and he said, in respect of durable relationships being prescribed by law, the concern is this approach would involve differential treatments between families founded on marriage and those not founded on marriage. The former would automatically be within the constitutional definition of protection. The latter would only do so if they satisfied relevant statutory provisions. Well, first of all, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole now, but what, what, I, what I will say is this. What's said in the Oireachtas is not a matter that will inform the court in its understanding of this. The court will look at this phrase in its context. Should a case arise, you don't just rock up down to the High Court and say, oh, by the way, I'm in a durable relationship, I want to be recognised. You have to have a basis on which you say your unit, your family unit was not recognised in a particular piece of legislation mm-hmm. and you are entitled to a right, as Mr O'Mara did. So you, 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 you can't just say the courts are going to look into their hearts and find the answer. We don't do that. The courts don't do that. The courts are constrained by precedent, by the words used, by the context in which the words are used, and by how the words have appeared in, in other instruments, in other cases, in other statutes, etc. This word, durable relationships, is not anywhere else in the Constitution. So undoubtedly, if there is an issue as to what it means, it will be ultimately for the courts to decide. It is a; it will be a new constitutional word. 
But it doesn't, as it were, come from nowhere legally. It's found in the Citizens' Rights Directive. Words like it, committed, durable, etc., are found in the cohabitation legislation. Now, both of those instruments deal with family, durable relationships, couples in durable relationships, as Mm -hmm. it were. And those those instruments and the case law around those instruments have identified the kind of things, objective and subjective factors that will be taken into account. Have you have you committed yourself to the other person? Uh, is the relationship durable? Do you do you intend to be a couple? Do you project yourself in the world as a couple? Are you treated as a couple? Um, are, are you treated as a couple by your friends? Do you do you present as a unit? Uh, the example was given of people being invited to wedding invitations. I've gone to weddings with people and I didn't end up marrying them. No, you know? I, of course you did. But you've also been invited to weddings with your wife, if you have a wife or your husband or your partner or whatever, if you have. And it, that, that, was, uh, that, that was part of a long list of examples that I gave and it's been taken. It's been taken. I don't, I don't want to say out of context, but okay. it's one of the indicia of what's out there, what, how people re- reflect you. The particular case where the Christmas cards came up was a case of a man who was living long term with his, with his woman partner and um, he was th- the chief mourner at her funeral. He, he, he minded her through her very severe illness. He minded her in a very intimate way. Her family, because it was a succession case, her family said, oh, they were just friends. And the, the decision was, well, actually, all of the indicators here, including that they went together to weddings, were that they were a couple who had an intimate relationship and they weren't just friends. Mm. And that was the decision. And the Christmas card and the going to weddings were part of it. In that particular case, the fact that he stood at the top of the church by her coffin and was the chief mourner. That was a very strong indicator that the people that he regarded himself as being in a couple relationship with her and everybody else did too. I suppose that the, the fear would be, I'm trying to articulate the, 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 the no position here, but we'll come to the, the, uh, the yes position as well, um, is that this phrase will float around there. We look, we look back at the history of some constitutional amendments in the past, particularly the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. And I think I'm right in saying, correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, Members of the judiciary expressed their unhappiness at the failure of the Oireachtas to legislate um, on on foot of that in the decades that followed, and all the you know pretty pretty messy things that happened, and the courts were were in lieu of of, of that failure to legislate. You know, had to do things that probably wasn't shouldn't ultimately have been their their function in a functioning democracy, and that the same thing might might apply here with the. Well, all I the, can say is this, uh, and you know, I'm the chair of the commission, Thaukon. I didn't draft these words. They mm. were given to us to present to the people and to present the meaning. The meaning, there's, a, I suppose, a tolerably clear core meaning. Uh, after that, it will be for the Arachthus to decide what groupings it wishes to include. The Taoiseach make, gave a long list of groupings yesterday. Um, grandparents heading up families, you know, they, they, the eldest child looking after parent, looking after children with their parents, say, are killed together in a road traffic accident, uh, single parents and things like that. Now, you must remember as well, Hugh, we have an extremely elaborate family law structure, which allows, for example, grandparents in that situation to be appointed guardians. We have a lot 
of structures and we have a lot of social welfare entitlements in that world, as it were. Um, so it may it may be chaotic, as you say, but the, a lot of the structures are already there. Some people think that getting rid of, of um, civil partnership was a mistake after after marriage equality came in because, and in fact, the the, the case you referred to earlier seems to be seems to be an example of that. Some people no, are you un- couldn't be a civil partner if you were a heterosexual couple. But why not bring in civil partnership I have for no everybody? Idea. That didn't happen. You know? I I I expect. I don't know really the reasoning behind this, and again, it's not for me to guess it. But I expect, given the role that marriage plays in our constitution, and that will continue to play, whether this amendment passes or not, it may have been thought that to give civil partnership an elevated status for persons who could marry might not fully respect the institution of marriage. Civil partnership was a kind of stopgap. And it was for people who, by definition, couldn't marry at that point. Couldn't marry. Once they can marry, it might have been thought, well, then they can, therefore we don't protect their rights to civil partnership. And might that still be the case then, if that was the feeling then? Because the, the problem is, isn't it, that, or the potential problem, I suppose, is that you have marriage which has very, you know, clear legal structures You become married it. on the day you become married. You, know, you, sign exactly. a, you sign a very serious yes. contract, which, and it's great and there's love and roses and fluffy stuff, but there's also some serious legal rights and obligations there's status. involved. Yeah. There's status. Yeah. You change your legal status. You are then a married person. And so you have that. And then on the other hand, you have this rather messy, ephemeral kind of idea of durable relationships. It could be, could be a whole range of things. The cohabitation legislation required people to, co- to cohabit for two years before they could make any claim or, or five years if there were no children. So the, the Iraqis was alive to that idea that you acquired the status of being married on the day of the ceremony, on the, t- the moment you sign the register. Mm. Um, but you don't acquire the status of being in a durable relationship automatically by the happening of a single event. I mean, you might declare your love to some but that wouldn't necessarily mean your relationship is going to last. Sure. You mightn't mean it to last or you might mean it to last and it mightn't. Or you might actually hide it away from everybody else. I mean, lots of people might have a relationship for four or five years, but is there, you know, is there any reason why property rights should accrue for that? Uh, but people are free really to re- regulate a lot of their own property rights. I don't think this is much about property rights. Um, I, I think it's more about status and recognition. At AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored exclusively for your business needs, spanning offices, warehouses, industries, workshops, schools and public spaces. Specialising in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. Our offerings include versatile storage solutions and comprehensive office project design and implementation. With over 45 years of experience, we stand as your trusted partner in smart B2B solutions. To explore all we have to offer, visit ajproducts.ie and elevate your business with AJ Products. I suppose we could move on to the 40th Amendment. Yes, we better move on to yeah. the 40th Amendment. <laughs> I could stay on the 39th Amendment all day, but let's move on to the 40th Amendment. I looked at an interesting tweet from uh, Minister Catherine Martin from last week, and she said, I quote, It's not reflective of today's society for our constitution to say that a woman's place is in the home. Diverse families deserve equal recognition in our constitution. Now, the constitution does not say that a woman's place is in the home. It absolutely doesn't. 
Mm. In fact, it says something in a way, I mean, it says something quite different. It recognizes that a woman's life in the home gives the state a very significant support and gives the common good a very significant support. In fact, it says that without that work in the home, the common good could not be achieved. So does that statement fall under the rubric of misinformation? Misinformation is, well, first of all, the rubric of misinformation, it's it's a very complex definition of intentionality, etc. It's simply a wrong statement of law, if I could put it that way. I won't call it, I won't give it a, a label. Parts four and five of our act haven't been commenced yet. And the, the, the regulations and, 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 and criteria to be classified as either misinformation or disinformation um, are much too elaborate for me to go through them here. But that is not a correct statement of the law. Has the wording which it's now proposed to be removed, has that ever had any material legal impact on the lives of Irish people since 1937? Um, I, I, on, on their legal lives, No. In, in that um, I can remember arguments made by myself as well as before me um, by persons in a divorce context saying, well, I was a carer at home and this particular um, article of the Constitution recognises the importance that I play uh, in, in the common good and in society and therefore I should be given more than whatever percentage of the, of the family assets. It has never achieved a direct, concrete result. Um, it's a statement of values and it's a statement of, of um, recognition of work within the home. And the proposal is that the recognition would continue, but in a more gender neutral way. Now, there's a bit more to it than that, so I just want to be careful. What's proposed is that care given by family members to one another on account of their bonds, on account of the love between them. That care is now recognised as being an element, a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. So it's the same language. But it doesn't say what 41.2.2 says, which is that the state will endeavour to ensure that mothers, not women, but mothers should not have to go out to work to the neglect of their duties in the home. And that is proposed to be removed entirely and to be replaced by a phrase that the state will strive to support the provision of care in the home. What so is the difference different. between endeavouring to do something and striving to do something? The Commission has taken the view that endeavour means try and strive means try very hard. So we've taken the view that strive is a stronger word and, and we've discussed this and we consider we are competent to say that as a piece of information because we we didn't as it were, um, evolved this in a discussion. We we used dictionaries and we used we used language sources. Um, it 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 may not make much difference, but it may. And th- there is a case that has commenced in in the court. So I I need to be careful. Um, where a mother is claiming that forty one point two does trigger rights in her. And that that case has run in the High Court and the Supreme Court accepted it, gave 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 leave to appeal. So we'll see how that evolves. But just on a point of law in relation to that, if the amendment is passed and that passage is no longer in the Constitution, what happens to that case? Uh, that's a very good question. In fact, um, if this proposal is passed, strictly speaking, the Supreme Court hears a case as it was in the High Court. 
In mm. other words, it's the law as stated then. Nonetheless, that would probably be a slightly unrealistic way of looking at it. But she'll still be a carer in the home. Not a mother, but yes. a carer. So yeah. if it passes, she'd still, I think, would fit in to the category of a person giving care within the home on account of her love for her child. Right. Um, so I, I, but yeah, that's an interest. That's an interesting question. In fact, the interplay between the two provisions of forty one is interesting in itself. Uh, senator Tom Clonan, I, I don't know where we'd be with these referendums without the independent senators, given that nearly every party in the in the Oireachtas, uh, with the exception I think of Aintu, is in favour of, of of these proposals. But Senator Tom Clonan, who's a long-standing disability campaigner, um, among other things, he's come out very strongly against this wording. So he would disagree that, well, in his view anyway he doesn't think strive is worth much to anybody at all, well, is worth I, I very mean, much to people. The, the Commission is delighted to see the debate. I, I, I have to say, when this started, I was, in fact, pleasantly surprised. On my very first trip out, which was to Newbridge, um, and it, it was my first time being in, in stopping in the town of Newbridge. I'm from Cork, as you can hear, and I used to drive past it. And I was surprised, actually, that people knew about it and they were interested. But the debate is quite lively now. And mm. maybe people will say Strive is weaker than Endeavour. Maybe they're the same. Endeavour has a slightly old-fashioned feel. I suppose it comes back to a point you made earlier, which, which is, of, of, among the things which a constitution does, is that it kind of sets out core values mm. for um, for a state. Mm. And when we had Radhika Gorman in, I was, I was being a bit snide and I was talking about this as a kind of vibes Oh, the vibes part of the constitution and he corrected me and said it was actually values but I suppose in, in either sense what, what I mean is it's not really justiciable so it's not really meaningful apart from a kind of a bit of kind of virtue signalling. Well I, I mean the, the, for the constitution is as, as, as young people would say so justiciable it is justiciable all of the fundamental rights principles are fundamentally important. They have framed our laws. They have framed our constitutional case law. They have framed the way we think. They frame our, our the education of law students. They frame how judges think. There is no way in which this is just woolly thinking. But all of, all of the constitutional provisions for rights are now seen against a massive backdrop of in, international instruments international thinking about rights. And when I said to you earlier on, our, our thinking around constitutions has evolved. It has evolved. It's evolved as case law of the European Court of Human Rights, our own case law as it evolves, as we think of other ways of asking questions, other ways of looking what, of what rights mean. The thinking is complex, but it's always rooted in the precedent, the instruments, the language. So the, it, it does really matter. I sound like I sound like a lawyer passionate about my about my tools of but trade. Fair enough. But yes, yes, it do, it does matter. And I don't know what Roderick O'Gorman said, but there is no sense in which this is an insignificant part of the constitution. Article forty to forty four are fundamental state the fundamental principles of the rights basis of our constitution. Forty five is interesting actually, as we're at it. Mm. Forty five is called the principles of social justice essentially, and it actually pronounces that going back to women in the home, it actually pronounces that the state will secure that all citizens of whom men and women equally have the right to an adequate means of livelihood, made through their occupations, 
find the means of making reasonable provision for the domestic needs. Men and women are economic actors, it says that. And then it goes on to say various other elements of the fundamental social principles. The state shall endeavour to ensure that the strength and health of workers, men and women, shall not be abused. Hmm. So, now, they are the parts of the Constitution which are not justiciable. That's Article 45. But the state is required to to keep those principles in mind when it's passing legislation. So that's not justiciable. But 40 to 44 absolutely are. You'd be, you wouldn't be amazed, but there's, it's... They are the tools of our daily work, really. Well, that's 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 good to know. We should, we should remind our listeners that you're still uh, a, a member of, of of the Supreme Court. For a little while longer. Now, I'm not here speaking as a Supreme Court judge, and I'm glad you said that. I'm here because the legislation provides that the chair of the Electoral Commission will be a judge of the Supreme Court or a retired judge of the Supreme Court and failing somebody who wants to do this very interesting and challenging and great job Um then a judge at the Court of Appeal or a retired judge at the Court of Appeal. I'm retiring soon. I have no political connections. Um, and so it was, I wasn't possibly too difficult a choice because I fitted all the categories. And you'll be continuing after you'll be continuing oh, in, the, in this role. Seven years. I've done one now. So I have another six years. So as, as regards the the question you asked, Art, there is going to be continuity. I'm the voice you're going to hear on referendum campaigns. I'm, I'm unfortunately also the face, but because you'd like to go around on the bus invisible, but I presumably I'll still stay invisible. But I'm the voice that you're going to hear. I, um, and we will evolve between us, and we've already evolved, um, ways of thinking about how to do these, how to do this referendum. This is going to be a big learning curve. There's another one in, in June, another referendum in June. This is a big learning curve as to how how we get out there, um, wh- how, what, what the booklet should look like, what our frequently asked questions sections on our website should look like. Should the w- website be full of material or should it be just snappy, short, short explanations? All of those all of those particular approaches will come to be discussed. And we learn, we learn a lot. I'm even learning my Irish now, which is great. I'm improving my Irish, I should say. And because we are conscious that we need to go out to communities. We've gone out to communities. We've gone out to traveller communities. We've gone out to, um, we're, go- we're going to Chagas tomorrow, um, to a Chagas unit. I'm, I'm very interested in gardening. Um, and I, I hope that I'll learn something from about how to how to grow things, um, but we're, that's not that's not exactly it's not a, a frivolous comment. We are determined to have a reach and to be visible, and that people regard our impartial, independent role as being important. That they can say, okay, the electoral commission said. This is what's proposed. Now let's just listen to the political debate around it. I have a kind of a fundamental question as a voter. I'm not sure whether to put it to Art or whether to put it to you. So, or, or indeed neither. You may you may both decline to take it. It's um, it, an argument which is often put forward by the no side in any in any referendum, regardless regardless of the subject. Is that if you are not entirely sure what this means or what the consequences of this change should be, you should vote no. I suppose in a way it's a version of the beyond a reasonable doubt test in a jury situation. So, I mean, there is a kind of a legal setting for that. Criminal law. 
in criminal law, but not in civil law. No. Yeah. So how should I think as a voter about that? If I'm not convinced by either side, but I'm not entirely sure what the ramifications of a change should be. I mean, my inclination would be, this is not, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's a don't change it un- un- unless you know what'll, what'll the consequences Art be. Arsene Stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, well th- thank you for that, Judge. Um, well, without wanting to sound facetious, I think people should strive um, to learn as much as they can. Not just uh, endeavour. About, no. okay. about the proposal. So try harder, I, I think. So, I mean, we are very conscious that some of this language is difficult and it's not as accessible as ordinary people on the street um, might wish it to be. So that's one of the challenges for us is, is it to explain that the language and, and the proposals in the referendum. If people have doubts, they should try. There are so many sources of information now, trusted sources of information where people can go and get information. They can email us, they can give us a ring and we're happy to talk through the, um, without wanting to give a direct answer to your um, voting yes or no, um, can I just suggest that the important thing is that people vote. You know, learn as much as you can about the proposal and please come out on March the 8th. It's so important because, as we have been saying in our ads, your vote is your voice. Because we have seen in in referendums, if I may call them uh, not first order referendums, not not the kind of referendums which grab the public imagination like the repeal of the Eighth Amendment or marriage equality or, or, or various other ones, you know, turnout has not been great in the past and it wouldn't be unreasonable to expect that we'll be well below 50% turnout going by past experience here. And that really means that a quarter of the population can decide whether this thing passes or not. Yeah, and this is why we're working so hard to try to encourage people to come out and vote and to learn as much as they can about the proposal. There was the referendum, um, which was before the Supreme Court last year on the Shannon. The turnout for that referendum was 28.5%. You know, it's the lowest turnout in the history of the state. And um, we are encouraging people as strongly as we can to please come out and, uh, and vote and whichever way, learn as much as you can and vote according to how you make your mind up. And remember, I don't want to sound, I don't want to use emotional language, but this is the Constitution of Ireland, Bunrock the Heron. What it says is your statement of values and what it says is what you think. So uh, there's, there's actually quite a lot of debate and information out there, but people can read what's there now, read what's proposed and say, what do I want my constitution to say? I, 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 that, that, I think, has to, be an, has to be some encouragement to people to think about it and go out and vote and go out and vote in your own way, having thought about it and realise that a lot of what is being said is debate and what we're trying to give is information. And you listen better to the debate if you understand the information, I think. I think, I hope. I definitely agree with that. On that note, we will leave there. I should say that this podcast is a strong editorial line in favour of always voting. So uh, we completely agree with agree with that point. Maria Nart, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And thanks very much to our producer, John Casey. That's it for today. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. Until then, thank you very much for listening.